0: Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Lunar Cat's ongoing mental health series with Nina Lunetta. We hope to cover a wide range of topics such as when to push your comfort zone, avoidant attachment style, secure attachment style, and what checking in with ourselves can look like. Thank you, Nina, for being a constant source of inspiration and friendship. You mean so, so much to me, and I cannot wait to dive into all these future episodes with you. Thanks for leaning in. Stay cool. Thank you for tuning in to Lunar Cats. Um, we are going to work on a new ongoing series today, um, starring Nina Lunetta. Nina is a long term friend of mine. We graduated high school together and even over the course of, you know, five plus years of living in different countries, I think our, our friendship has gotten stronger and, um, this episode is really just to give you an intro of who Nina is and invite her onto the podcast series. Welcome, Nina.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really, really excited about this.
0: So you're also a Michigan native. Um, Nina and I both graduated from Lansing Catholic Central, and we always had like very, I would say mutual friends. In high school, like really close mutual friends,
1: yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of us are surprisingly still- co- pretty close
0: yeah we have a we have a good friend group chat going,
1: <laughs> we do, we do always a good group chat.
0: I went
1: to undergrad at Central Michigan University and I studied psychology. And Spanish with a minor in neuroscience.
0: Are you fluent in Spanish? Yes,
1: I am.
0: And on like a, a, I mean, we're going to get into it, but you're a licensed therapist and you've also been a mental health professional while being fluent in Spanish as well, correct?
1: Yes. In fact, that was, I think one of my sort of dreams that i had that i i think i sort of never thought would come true and um actually ended up coming true earlier than expected so yeah that's been awesome
0: uh what where did you do your graduate programming at
1: I did my master's at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology and I got my master's in counseling psychology with a specialty in marriage and family therapy.
0: And how long have you been practicing?
1: I would say I have been practicing total 11 years. I think since I've had my, my license, I believe since 2017. So I think that's six years.
0: And does the licensing, is it based on what state you're certified in, or how does that work?
1: Yes, that is a pretty complicated um, thing. It's state by state. Uh, There is some new movement towards trying to get more states on board and kind of streamlining what the requirements are because currently each state has the jurisdiction to make all of their own requirements. They can require their own exams, et cetera. And it's kind of all over the place. Um, and now with, with the, the giant bursts of telehealth onto the map, um, it's, that's becoming even more relevant and, you know, people want and need to practice, outside of their state. And so that's um, something that hopefully we'll see changing soon, but I've been licensed in both Illinois and Michigan, but currently I'm only licensed in Illinois where I currently practice.
0: And do you have any other certificates or licensing beyond your like bachelor's, master's? And I feel like there's a few of them I don't know that you have.
1: Well, I'm also a national certified counselor, um, which despite its name does not mean that I can practice in any state. Um, but it is, does mean that I'm nationally boarded and, uh, through the, uh, national board of counselors And so I also follow their bylaws, et cetera, code of ethics. Um, and I also have an infant mental health endorsement, um, as well as a lot of training in parent-child interaction therapy, DBT and CBT. Um, and I would say currently my, my specialties are actually in, uh, couples and relationships, ADHD, and anxiety.
0: When you, when you started going to college, did you always have a vision of becoming a therapist or what did that look like initially? And how did it kind of shift and change as you went through school?
1: Um, I would say the short answer is no. Um, I did not want to be a therapist. Um, I, I actually started pre med neuroscience major in college. In fact, that's why I went to Central Michigan University because they were one of the only undergraduate neuroscience programs in the country at the time, uh, which I thought was really cool. Still do, and um, I still think that was the right choice for me because my first two years at Central, I did neuroscience research uh the first year in parkinson's disease and the second year in anxiety and dosages of anti-anxiety medications um and that is essentially what led me haphazardly to psych because um I was mainly doing my research with rats, and I, you know, rats are actually surprisingly friendly and, like, nice to work with, but I was, it wasn't that I was working with rats, I just wasn't really working with people, and I was, felt like I was alone in a lab a lot, so I kind of talked to my uh, neuroscience advisor at the time, and I was telling him that I wanted to be around more people and maybe do, you know, research on people potentially and things like that and um he said why don't you go sit in um one of my favorite colleagues abnormal psych class and i was like uh that doesn't sound like me <laughs> I was like, oh, whatever. Sure. So, uh, to appease him, I did. And I was, I was pretty hooked almost immediately. Um, it, it had a lot to do with the professor. She's brilliant. Um, her name is professor Larissa Nietzsche. I actually ended up working for her in the parent child interaction therapy lab on campus. And that, both her class and, um, that experience is kind of what made me switch to psych. And I was like, wow, this stuff, cause I saw firsthand this stuff really works and this can change people's lives without like surgery. You know what I mean? Cause that was originally what I wanted to do was brain surgery. Um, so less invasive, <laughs>
0: And you used to work in a more hospital setting before COVID. What what was that job like?
1: Um, that job was intense at times. Um, I I still really loved it. Um, the unit was pediatric and adolescent inpatient psych, so it's the highest level of care and highest level of acuity for for psych, Um, but I really, I did really love it, despite how intense and stressful it could be at times. Um, There's some days where you have, you know, a group of teens that are really listening to you and trying to find their way, and then there's other days, there's a group of teens who are tearing the ceilings off off of the unit and we're calling codes every 5 seconds. So it's a huge spectrum and you know, I I think you just feel like you're making a huge difference every day, every single day no matter what you're doing.
0: And currently do you work for, I'm, I don't think it's a private practice, but what what do you currently do and how many clients do you work with?
1: Yes, it actually, it is a private practice, but it's it's grown to be a, a, a larger private practice. Um, I currently work for Clarity Clinic in Chicago, Illinois, and we have, I believe, six offices now, um, probably over 200 employees. If I had to estimate, um, I work out of the river North office and I see about 22 to 25 clients a week. And I also supervise other, uh, pre-licensed clinicians as well.
0: And are most of your clients, uh, currently remote? And like, like, do you have the option to go into an office if your client requested that?
1: I currently am all remote. Um, that is both by my choice and by my client's choice. Um, I actually don't have, I, I don't believe any clients who currently want to come to the office right now. Um, mainly due to schedule and flexibility reasons and accessibility. Um, you know, telehealth has really been a game changer in accessibility, I think. Um, meaning you can take a session on your lunch break and not have a commute there and back. You can take a session maybe directly after work in your car or, um, you know, before work, um, without having to drive anywhere, you know, um, you can take a session while your child is napping. You know what I mean? So, um, for that reason, I think people have really almost immediately hopped on board and said, yeah, this, this works for us because everyone has pretty busy lives
0: is it done through a portal that's like confidential for information or do you get to just use like FaceTime?
1: Um, no, I don't believe FaceTime is, uh, HIPAA compliant or encrypted. Um, we currently, so, and to answer your question, I can see clients in my office. In fact, we just had some beautiful renovations done. Um, but like I said, I think the flexibility of telehealth has, has made therapy accessible to people who may otherwise have been too busy to get to the office. Um, so, uh, we use advanced MD as our, um, HIPAA software and they have their own video, um, encrypted and HIPAA compliant video that we use.
0: Do you see your own therapist?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, I think personally, if you're a therapist, I think you should always have a therapist. Um, Maybe some people would disagree, but uh, even if it's just like monthly maintenance, I currently see my therapist, uh, every other week. And there's been times that I've seen a therapist weekly or even twice weekly, depending on what's going on in both my work and personal life. Uh, and I just think it it is an incredible resource and, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how far I would be in my own personal growth without my own therapy.
0: It, what, what kind of lesson comes to mind that maybe you've learned from one of your clients? Is there kind of like a reoccurring theme maybe that you feel? Mm,
1: well, I think as far as a recurring theme, I think th- doing therapy is can be very humbling and there's I feel like a lot of parallels a lot of the times. Um so it it seems strange sometimes that it almost feels to me because I I'm sort of a spiritual person that the universe sometimes is trying to show me certain things about myself or, or what I'm going through, through my clients at times. Um, So I would say I learn things from my clients every single day. Um, It definitely depends what I'm learning from each of them, but um, I think the biggest thing is that they give me so much hope by just showing up. They, you know, when people have been through things and they're willing to show up and say, you know what, I know whatever happened to me isn't my fault, but I'm going to show up here every week and work on it anyways because I want to do right by me. There's just something so incredibly empowering and uplifting. And I think for the most part, I just feel an incredible sense of pride most days for most of my clients, um, even on their worst days because they're still showing up.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. Do you think that, is there something that stands out that you think is the hardest part of your job?
1: Um, I think, you know, I actually really love my job and it's, it's interesting because I think the parts that people think would be the worst parts. So hearing about the traumatic events others have gone through and things like that, a lot of times in a weird way, that's the best part, not hearing that they've been through something terrible, but once again, you just see so much resilience and, and strength in people. So I think there's not a ton of, of bad. I don't think, I think maybe compartmentalizing at times um my own emotions from you know it's it's a very interesting dynamic because you're you're there to help and support this person but that doesn't mean you don't have emotions about what's going on with them you know the longer i'm in therapy with someone the more i care genuinely about them um and I I would say the hardest part probably is when someone's going through a really bad time and I'm a little worried or scared that, that maybe they, there's a small, small chance they might not be okay in between sessions type of deal. Um, So if I'm like worried there's, you know, even if I've, Checked and thoroughly assessed and we've talked about, you know, suicide and stuff like that. I think, you know, that's every, every clinician's worst fear is they get that call that their client has died or, or completed suicide or, you know, something else terrible has happened to them. It's, I guess, similar to a loved one that way.
0: Mm -hmm. If someone was considering going to therapy, but didn't really know where to get started or felt maybe overwhelmed by that, what, what suggestions and encouragement would you give someone?
1: Well, number one, I would say it's okay to be hesitant and even skeptical. Um, To me, it makes sense why people are hesitant and skeptical about starting therapy, especially if they don't know much about it or have never done it before or both. You know, we I I like that therapy is becoming more normalized in our society, but if you think about it, it is a jarring idea. Like, hey, something really, really bad has happened to you or you're going through something, Hey, just, you know, don't worry, just sign up to talk to a stranger about it. No problem. You know, um, that's, that's not, (laughs) I don't think that idea is helpful either. Um, it's not no problem. I mean, if they're having trouble talking to their own loved ones about whatever's going on, of course, it's going to feel weird (laughs) to just sign up to talk to a stranger about it whether we're licensed and trained or not. Also, even some of the best therapists might not be the right fit for you. And when you're first starting out, you may not know what your right fit is yet for a therapist. And so I would encourage people, number one, if you, so the first place, uh, if you live in, in the US that I would recommend checking out is Psychology Today. I would say most clinician, most therapists are probably on there. Um, you can also go on ZocDoc or, um, a, you know, just regular Google search for therapists in your area. Um, but psychology today is nice because you can filter for your insurance. If you have insurance, um, you can filter if you want a man or a woman therapist. You can filter by a specific thing you have going on if you're experiencing depression, anxiety, ADHD, or if, you know, you're under 18 or, um, you're looking for a couples therapist or, you know, whatever, maybe specialty, or, I mean, you can, they have a lot of filters that you can use to help sort of narrow down your search, since it can also be overwhelming that there's so many people on there. Um, and you can filter by, you know, location and, you know, like I said, insurance, which is very helpful. Um, and the other thing I would say is if you try out a therapist for the first time and you're lot, li- you're like, mm, if you, if you really strongly feel like it's not a first fit in the first session, okay, tr- you know, try another one. Um, it's, it's a little bit like dating and especially in that first, first time around. Cause like I said, you're figuring out what your style is, what you maybe want or need from a therapist at the time. Um, and if, if you're on the fence, but you know, maybe, maybe give it one or two more sessions and then say, Oh, you know what? I think I'm going to look for somebody else. And and that can be a slightly frustrating process, but the right fit, I think is what makes a good therapeutic relationship. In fact, I was just reading an article about how they said it's actually the relationship between the client and their therapist that gets the job done. It's not necessarily the therapist's credentials or their certifications or, you know, what skills they're teaching and using necessarily, but rather the relationship formed. So that kind of touches on the importance of finding the right fit for the process for therapy to be a good experience for you. Hmm.
0: I think that's so important for people to know that you might have a first like a few first consultations before you find the right person and I think sometimes that can feel like really overwhelming to someone.
1: Yeah, um, or disappointing or once again jarring. But it's kind of like anything else, right? Like I've even I've done the same with primary care physicians or dermatologists or um, you know, friends, uh dating, right? We're not just gonna for sure hit it off with the very first person. And I mean, it's great if you do. It really is. Um, but you know, just like anything else, it might not be the very first person. I know mine mine wasn't. I think my very first therapist in adulthood was not the right fit. She wasn't bad, but she also wasn't what I needed. Mm -hmm. So, and then, and then after her, I, I found, um, the woman who was my therapist for seven years and we did a lot of work, a lot of great work together. And it was Mm -hmm. truly amazing.
0: Is there anything that you do? Let's say you yourself either have like a tough therapy session or you have maybe your client has a tougher therapy session. Is there anything you do to kind of self-soothe, self soothe self self soothe? Um, or do you kind of have a list of like comforting activities that you might turn to?
1: Yes, I think the one of the best things about being a therapist for me is that you almost cannot let your own self-care go almost even a little bit and be a great and effective therapist for other people it's it's the whole um you know oxygen mask analogy right if you are not good if you are distraught if you are you know, not taking pretty great care of yourself, number one, it's going to be much more difficult for you to try to take care of other people. But number two, you're also going to feel like a hypocrite. You know, if I don't practice a lot of what I preach to my clients, I think that would kind of make me a hypocrite. And I also think you know, my clients are very smart, intelligent, and intuitive individuals. They, I truly believe, they would sense that and be like, "This lady's bullshit." <laughs> you
0: know. Do you think that like authenticity is a, a reoccurring theme in your personal mental health journey, like honoring your truth?
1: Yes. And I think being, being myself as much as I'm like wearing a therapist hat when I'm in session, I think if I don't channel who I am through, through the hat, then once again, it's going to come off as phony. And people, you know, people pick up on that so easily. Um, I try not to say anything I don't really believe in to my clients. Um, and to answer your question, you know, yes, I, I have very important self-care routines and I definitely have lists of things like to help, you know, help me calm down. And, you know, every once in a while after a session, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, you know, might just have a good, good cry, might talk about it with my therapist or, or a friend or, you know, whatever. Um, but I think it's the heart, maybe the, you asked what was the hardest part. Maybe part of the hardest part is making sure I'm dealing with that stuff pretty head on and pretty quickly as it arises so that I can continue to be effective for my clients. And, and so that's kind of how I show my clients how much I care when I'm not in session is by caring for myself.
0: I love that. The self, I, I think a reoccurring thing for me is practicing self-compassion. And I think everything you just said really, really speaks to that. Um, yeah. That, that, are there like new new areas of therapy that you're exploring right now. I know you recently talked about maybe becoming licensed as a sex therapist. Uh, can you tell us more about that?
1: Yes. So, um, I, that is something that I do want to do eventually. Um, it, it is a fairly lengthy process. Um, and I'm starting to explore it now. um, I, I think it started, so as I started seeing more and more couples and relationship and, and even family uh, clients, I noticed that not only are, you know, relationship therapists High, highly sought after, and there's not as many of us as individual therapists, but we're really low on LGBTQIA affirming care, um, and as you know, I identify as a, a queer bisexual woman, um, and. So being able, I I started getting more and more LGBTQ couples clients. I, um, have even worked with some poly relationships. Um, so, so like a three, a group of three, um, and I think, and I've been educating myself more and more on like working with the population, even though I consider myself part of some of those communities um, just because, you know, I obviously what the more vulnerable a population, the more I want to make sure I'm delivering the best care. And uh, a big part of that is talking not only to couples, throuples or relationship people in relationships, but individuals about sexuality, gender, um, you know, the idea that there's not a rule that you have to be monogamous if you don't want to be, um, and just personal identity in general, that has then shown me an even greater need for discussing those for discussing those things and that many individual and couples therapists don't even touch them and that seems like a great travesty to me in fact i think it, as a as a country the united states doesn't still finds talking about sex period gay straight whatever so taboo so dangerous, so explicit, so dirty, you know, um, and I I really hate that because then we have people going through their whole lives not truly exploring pleasure, not truly exploring their identities fully, and that, is, that just doesn't sit right with me, so yes, I definitely um I will become a certified sex therapist eventually and I'm starting to look into how to to go about doing that now. I haven't started the process yet, but I have been dipping my feet in the water of taking, you know, trainings here and there. Uh the one I just took was uh like an intro to mindful sex. Um and it was phenomenal. So, yes, I think because I see how much of a need it is and how passionate I am about getting people to explore themselves in general, but also to explore their sexuality, their gender, their relationships, and really, really tearing down any societal shoulds, as I call them or societal pressures or beliefs and building up their own from the ground up.
0: Are there any other topics that come to mind sort of in this realm that we're, we're talking about now that you really want to cover on this series?
1: Well, I think we could do a lot of like basic education, right? Um, What therapy is really like what you can expect if you've never been to therapy. Um, you know, different, different styles or modalities you may encounter different specialties. Um, you know, maybe some basics about some common issues that are brought in to therapy about depression, anxiety, ADHD, um, you know, all of these things, relationship issues that often get brought up communication dynamics. Um, One thing that I'm also really passionate about is, and that I am looking to start doing in the near future is giving talks and maybe educational lectures or assemblies to high schools or, you know, community centers, churches even, right? Where we're just kind of giving people the basics so that they can learn just a little bit about mental health um, in a way that could help them right now. And maybe pique their interest about trying therapy out if they haven't before. Things like that. Um, Dipping their, kind of dipping, dipping their toe in. To the mental health world and trying to just destigmatize it by educating.
0: On that note, do you think that you would also warn people about information from social media as far as like misinformation or self diagnosing without a professional? How would you? you know, kind of help someone navigate that. Cause I do think sometimes there's just so much information online about, you know, this, that, and the other thing, it can be so overwhelming. And I myself have felt like, Oh my God, like everything is wrong with me and I'm falling apart and like everything's <laughs> fucked. Like that's sometimes how it feels. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I
1: Think I can speak for many, many licensed clinicians or even doctors, psychiatrists, anybody who is in the health field, not even just the mental health field, is that please. I I would say, as a general rule of thumb, don't get pertinent medical or mental health advice from social media. Don't get it from TikTok. Don't get it from Instagram. Don't get it from Twitter. In, and if you, mu- if you do want to follow people like that on there, please vet them. Please make sure these people are, first of all, adults who are licensed or who have actual credentials to even be speaking on these subjects and not a 15-year-old in their bedroom. Um, No offense to 15-year-olds. But yes, please don't self-diagnose because of a TikTok that you saw. If I had a dollar for every time, very intelligent clients of mine come in and say, oh my God, I think I have autism or I think I have ADHD or I think I have bipolar or borderline personality disorder. And I'm like, Hey, dude, um, we've been uh, seeing each other every week for two years. Don't you think I would have, like, brought this up if I thought that was going on? (laughs) Um, Also, where did you get that information from? And sure enough, it's a 15-year-old in their bedroom (laughs) on TikTok. Don't do it, folks. Don't go there. Please, please, please. And if if you, once again, if you think you're experiencing something, I'm not saying it's not true by any means. I'm just saying see a licensed professional, please, whatever it is, a doctor, a nurse practitioner, a PA, a licensed therapist, an AMFT, anything, but don't get your main information off social media and be careful where you're getting it from the internet please vet those sources.
0: Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good info, especially with with how normal it is to just kind of be scrolling online. And I know we both recently kind of got rid of our Instagrams and maybe not like me more recently than you, but um, I think it's been a great sort of boundary to put up um, giving myself more space and it really comes down to more space to be present. Um, and I (laughs) think that's why those things online can be so harmful because we're generally, generally speaking, not present when we're like ingesting that information. Mm -hmm. So I think because of that, it, it attaches itself like more to our subconscious. Mm -hmm. So then it kind of like, it it can kind of spin those negative thought spirals, I think, that we all, in some way or another, kind of struggle with.
1: 100%. And, I mean, we can do an entire episode just about social media and mental health,
0: (laughs) maybe more than one. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm I'm so excited to start this, and I'm really happy to have you on the show and, and kind of get the ball rolling on our mental health journey and and just even a little bit more for listeners. Nina is is one of my number one confidants, and I, I trust you so much. And I'm really happy that I'm going to be able to share this dynamic with with my listeners. So I'm super pumped.
1: I am too. I'm. I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think anyone else would have been able to to really. Get me onto a podcast like like you have. Your, your podcast has inspired me. It's inspired everyone I've turned on to it. Um, I mean, you're good at it. You're one of my very, very, very best friends. And I cannot wait to dive into the psyche with you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Lunar Cat's ongoing mental health series with Nina Lunetta. We hope to cover a wide range of topics such as when to push your comfort zone, avoidant attachment style, secure attachment style, and what checking in with ourselves can look like. Thank you, Nina, for being a constant source of inspiration and friendship you mean so so much to me and I cannot wait to dive into all these future episodes with you thanks for leaning in stay cool